0: In an interview with series producer Eiji Aonuma and Nate Bildorf of Nintendo Treehouse, they discussed how even the subtitle, Breath of the Wild, was different from past Zelda games. Usually a Zelda game is named for a character, like Twilight Princess, or an item like Ocarina of Time, or a key plot mechanism like A Link to the Past. This game could have easily been called The Legend of Zelda, The Sheikah Slate, or The Silent Princess, or The Guardians, or The Great Calamity, or a whole host of other elements in the game. But they settled on Breath of the Wild because of how the world itself was the soul of the game. Rather than simply the framing for stories or characters, it's truly the world that dazzles. It may seem trite to say these days, but the vast open-air landscape of Breath of the Wild is the main character of the game. Never in my experience has the simple act of random exploration and discovery been more openly encouraged and better rewarded. The world feels impossibly large and yet incredibly detailed at every turn. It's as if the developers are watching over your shoulder, dropping little goodies to those curious enough to investigate the breadcrumbs placed throughout the map. The level of detail and nuance put into each area is it's astounding. Each aspect of the world feels handcrafted rather than recycled. The game gently guides you along the road towards new areas with discoveries big and small. Take Limebeck Island, for example. On the surface, you know, it's just a neat little nod to Phantom Hourglass. We'll, you know, drop a little name of the character onto the map and people will go, Ooh, wonder what that is. But if you recognize the reference and go there, there's a cork to be found. If you don't recognize the reference, there's an NPC somewhere in the world that'll nudge you in that direction. Those little hints are scattered all over the world and they make the world feel alive. They make the world feel like they have almost a human touch behind every little element. While the vast openness has been rightfully lauded, and more on that in a second, It overlooks the subtle brilliance of this game's tutorial. The Great Plateau is Breath of the Wild's way of teaching you the rules of the world. It teaches you how combat works, it teaches you about cooking, about the adaptive environment and how you can freeze to death, about climbing, shrines, as well as how those newfangled ruins work. But most importantly, it does so in an environment that allows experimentation and failure. Rather than a support character shouting at you about what button to press to jump, the Shrine of Resurrection can't be escaped without doing so. You can drown, fall from a cliff, get blasted by a guardian, crushed by a talus, or clobbered by a wokoblin, or clobber them back. You learn all the skills you need to survive in the world from the outset. And then the game unleashes you onto a world larger than it even appears. At the start of the game, the whole the camera pans out and over all of Hyrule, and you're like, whoa! It's huge! But that doesn't even capture a fraction of the map. It wasn't until around 30 hours into the game that I looked at my map and realized just how damn big it is! I hadn't even like, revealed 50% of the map, never mind actually explored it, and I finished the game, I put like 95 hours into the game, it's like, ooh, that's an area I've never seen before in my 95 hours with this game. This is a game that lets you charge the final boss from the beginning. It allows you to complete as many or as few dungeons as you like. You can unearth every little scrap of the story or ignore the story altogether. You can climb anything if you have the perseverance and ingenuity to do so. Invisible walls, they're gone, they just disappeared from the game. But equally, if you want to murder every duck, swan, goose, pheasant, stork, I don't birds good. But you want to murder those birds, feel free. (laughs) This game offers practically no restraints on what you can do and when you can do it. You ask a question in the game, it usually has an answer. There are two primary design decisions that were integral to making exploring this incarnation of Hyrule work. The first, and probably most divisive feature in Breath of the Wild, is the destructible weapons. In the game, your weapons are finite. After sustained use, they break. (laughs) and the only way you get them back is to find another one. But this creates a feedback loop essential to incentivizing exploration. While shrines, Koroks, and story beats offer a reason to look over the next horizon, weapons are often a frequent reward for finding a new little nook or cranny. They also serve as a bonus challenge in most of the shrines. So you explore to find new weapons, breaking your current weapons in combat, causing you to want more weapons. It's a feedback loop and so the process begins again. It also adds an extra layer to the combat itself, as it makes fights seem a little more dynamic, causing you to have to adjust on the fly to the changing conditions. If your weapon breaks, you have to switch to a different weapon, you have to adjust, you have to... I don't want to say analyse, because that's probably going a little far, but... You have to react. The game asks you to react, not just act. And it's especially important, considering the game ops against utilizing any sort of experience system. If your weapons didn't break, you could just find the best ones and run through the game. Rather instead, even long after you finish the game, and this is particularly the case in in my experience, certain enemies can just wreck you if you're not careful. Breakable weapons are fundamental to the balance of the game, and it's remarkably elegant. It works. You just gotta get used to not getting attached to your fancy ice sword, because it will break and let you down. And then a Hinox will hit you with a tree, and you will be sad. The second fundamental design choice is the decision to leave the map blank. As with many open world games, you climb large towers that fill out your map. But, rather than to fill your map with dozens of icons, you just get a rough sense of the area. All you're given to work out points of interest is place names and topography. So finding new shrines and towns feels less like simply ticking off a checklist and more like discovery. Your discovery. The map only fills out as you find things. The game instead encourages you to find high ground, look around and paraglide to something interesting. The experience is less Link as follower and more Link as cartographer. There's a pitch for you, Nintendo. Cartographer Link. Make an amiibo, that thing. You chart the path, and that subtle little choice drives a great deal of the exploration in Breath of the Wild. There's always a new thing to find. And you find it. It's not just plucked on a map for you to walk toward. The music is a change from Zelda's past to Gone as the bombastic, sweeping grandeur that characterised the older game scores, and in its stead, a more atmospheric feel. The music reflects the degree to which Breath of the Wild is content with stillness. And there's still plenty of quality tracks though on balance, I'd probably prefer some of the older Zelda music. Puzzle design is less a link to the past and more a link between worlds. And by that I mean the solutions to puzzles is rarely just going to another room to find the right key to the door you can't get through, but rather providing you with all the tools necessary and asking you to work it out. Here's what you need, solve the puzzle. As a result it becomes infinitely more satisfying when you work out how to put those parts together. There are some very finicky gyroscoped controlled shrines, but they don't feature all that prominently. The characters are weird and memorable and live out their own daily routines, and the side quests are mostly filler and can, in many cases, be ignored entirely, except the Tarrytown side quest, because that's fantastic, and Hudson is the best. As the final game on Wii U and a launch title for the Nintendo Switch, it's somewhat fitting that Breath of the Wild is most comfortable serving as a bridge between past and present. Taking cues from the openness of the original Legend of Zelda and the more free-form nature of Link Between Worlds, this game takes what worked about Zelda's of old and reinvents it for a modern era. Gone is the formula, but the usual Zelda charm and polish remain ever-present. You can talk about the story and mechanics, the physics and the chemistry, the design and the freedom, the art style and the music. And yet, somehow, none of that seems to capture how this game feels. You're going to hear an awful lot about this game for years to come, because it's very difficult to capture everything this game does well. The way all the elements I just mentioned layer on top of each other, piece on piece, in a way that feels seamless, almost intangible even. I didn't want to put this game down, I was recording footage for this game, and I just, I was like, ooh, what's that? I haven't seen that before, I'm just going to go over there. I was like, no, I have to capture footage, I have to, I have to stay professional. There was always just one more thing to do, one more place to go, one more shrine to complete, and one more little clue to investigate, and each time a neat little reward at the end of the journey. This game feels special, and it's an astounding achievement in design. And that's why I'm giving it a 10 out of 10.